following program are pre-recorded. Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 1270. I'm Steve Black, along with Jason Speed from Food Life. You can catch Crude Life Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. right here on Super Talk 1270. How you doing, my friend? Hey, not too bad today. How's uh, life in the fast lane? Uh, fast. It's surprisingly fast. Uh, a lot going on uh, in the world of energy, a lot going on uh, in Burley County and uh, Emmons County and uh, PSD stuff, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later on in the program. But uh, great guest joining us now. You might know him best as the Frackinator, also known as uh, Monty. Uh, Monty. Uh, Monty has been a friend of the program for a long time. How you doing, Monty? Doing good, doing good, uh, enjoying life. So, uh, what have you been up to lately? We haven't talked to you for a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Oh, um, traveling all around uh, with my work. Uh, I'm not near as busy as I used to be, but that's somewhat by choice. Um, been doing it a long time, getting to the point where I only work when I want to work for who I want to work for and doing what I want to do, which is a very nice position to be in. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, well, see what, uh, let's start with the chili cook off. Cause that's kind of an event that, uh, um, it's a labor of love. Cause I think that's kind of the position you're in. Yep. Yeah. The, uh, the chili cook off, this is the uh, 43rd annual one for Williston. The Williston Chili Cook-Off is kind of the granddaddy of all the the Williston Basin charity uh, events. Uh, and uh, there's been a lot of spin-offs of different types, both in the state and even out of state, from people who came here and then went elsewhere. So we're pretty we're pretty proud of that fact. And uh, we it's one of our uh, primary revenue generators. Uh you know, it's uh, very well attended. The uh, um, waiting list to get into it. Uh, most of the time, your best bet on getting into the cook-off is to uh, join up with somebody who's already in it and co-sponsor a booth or something. But uh, well, let's back up a little bit, Monty. And, and so for those that may not know, the Williston Basin Chili Cook-Off, huge event. Uh, who does it benefit? What's the, the impetus behind it? Where, do, where does those revenues go? Uh, to help the industry? Well, you know, they go mostly into the, you know, the oil and gas and uh, community. And uh, one of our big donations, of course, is scholarships. We have uh, some um, uh, funds set up for yearly scholarships in uh, uh, Montana Tech and UND and also here in uh, Williston State College. Um, and uh, those go, those are f- basically funded year by year. Plus, we also give uh, scholarships to the members who have children uh, that are college age uh, and uh, are looking for a little bit of help. Uh, that's the big area, but that's not it. Uh, we also do a lot of community service support or events, uh, other charities. Um, so, you know, here just, uh, it's probably been about four or five years ago. We celebrated, uh, in a decade there that we gave up, gave up more than a million dollars away. 
to uh, scholarships and local. So, uh, and we're still moving on from that, growing that number every year. Now, this is the uh, API Williston chapter, correct? That's right. That's correct. And the fundraiser we're talking about today is the chili cook-off. And for those people listening out there who maybe have never been to the chili cook-off or participated in one, uh, is it is it open to the public? Is it for the uh, oil and gas members? Uh, what um, if you know people are listening? How how can they participate or be involved? Well, there's a number of ways. Uh, of course, it's absolutely open to the public. You can come uh, generally three to five in the afternoon and on. Uh, you come in, pay a, a fee, you get to wa- check out all the booths, which are amazing, uh, just in their self. But also there's mute live music, there's uh, snack samples. Every competing team has to have a game whose purpose is to generate revenues that they donate as well. So there's a lot of draft uh, raffles and draw, uh, games and stuff to try to win things. A lot of really, really nice prizes that are given away. But, yeah, the the, the public's there, but that's just one way. Um, the other way is uh, we're always looking for people to uh, to make donations. Uh, and you can you can do that. A lot of that does come from the oil and gas community, uh, but it isn't limited to that. We have uh, local businesses that have uh, joined in regularly. In fact, some of the teams are local businesses. Um, you know, Walt's Market, for for example, is a, a meat vendor, and they supply a lot of the meat to sell it to a lot of the teams. So they have decided to join in and compete. Something that's a little different this year. We, we've had it in the past, but this year we have four producing companies actually in as teams. More often than not, it's uh, vendors, um, service companies and such. But this year we do have uh, four significant uh, producing companies in the basin. So, uh, you know, Hess and uh, Cord Energy and uh, Grayson Mills. Uh, to name a few, um, of course, we've got a lot of the regulars too, Halliburton and Calfrac and um, some uh, workover companies. Oh, Kraken is the other uh, producer. So um, they uh, they all compete. Uh, and when is this chili cook-off again? March? March 23rd. March 23rd, chili cook-off. And uh, Steve, I don't know how much time we got, but um, I, you know, I'm getting hungry for some chili. And uh, I've judged. Well, actually, we're up against the break. Let's come back and uh, finish up with uh, the chili cookoff because you're right; it, it, it's coming up on lunchtime. It's never too early for lunch. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to talk some chili. Yeah, let's talk chili. Uh, this is Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 12. Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 1270. I'm Steve Bach along with Jason Spies from the Crude Life. You can catch the Crude Life Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. right here on Super Talk 1270. And uh, we're talking with Monty Bessler, the Frackinator, Wilson APIs, Chili Cook-Off coming up right around the corner. And, uh, uh, you know, Monty, one of the things that I've always enjoyed with uh, the the Williston Chili Cook-Off and why it's so good, because you've got... 
uh, oil workers coming from all over the place. And tell you what, you haven't lived until you've had the Cajun Flare Chili uh, from different locations. Texas chili, there's uh, multiple different Texas chilies, uh, Cajun style, uh, stuff from, uh, yeah, Kansas City chili is really good. Uh, I, I've had some chili that's rivaled, if you're familiar with Ohio and Cincinnati and the Highline chili there, um, I've been in a booth with a bunch of guys from Ohio and it's the differences in chili. The the variety body is absolutely incredible. Yeah, and and a lot of that is 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 I shouldn't say it's completely new, but it is really showing up in the last decade or so. Because prior to that, our oil industry was largely homegrown. Um, we had a few people move in and out, but during the the recent booms, we have had people move in, companies move in from all over the country. So they brought a lot of their their home cuisine with them, and uh, that's been great. Uh, you can you can have any any kind of chili you want, uh, from five alarm to you know what I call Norwegian chili. But uh, it's it's all out there, and it's you get a sample as much as you want. Um, Explain Norwegian chili to me. That's the new one. Well, that's just pretty mild. You know, you can imagine. <laughs> Imagine the the uh, potatoes and cabbage or something like that uh, pellet of the northern Europeans and and such. Uh, they're they're uh, they're not uh, the Tabasco habanero type people very often, but they uh, they're welcome. Now, and they, they enjoy it too. So now, do you? Do, do you know the different types of, of chilies? Uh, I know that there's one called Texas chili. There's a Cincinnati chili. There's a Oklahoma chili. Um, there's people that get pretty passionate about whether beans b- belong in a chili or not. Um, that, um, there's, go ahead. I was going to say, I wouldn't say I'm a, you know, a connoisseur of, um, chilies from different places but yeah a lot of them are related to what's available there i mean you go into new mexico arizona and you probably find chilies that have hatch peppers in them and if yeah. you don't have hatch peppers in them you ain't got chili and uh you know likewise uh you go into southern louisiana and if you don't have cayenne and or uh, uh tabasco peppers or something like that in there you don't have chili uh, and if you, uh, if you don't have a, a few animals that you can't really expect to find in your local grocery store in it, you're, you're probably sampling Louisiana chili. Um, has anybody ever tried to pull off Cincinnati chili? You know, like, yeah, I, yeah, the Highline chili. I, I've, I've had that. It's been a few years, but there was a, some guys from Ohio that, uh, um, it was pretty darn close to that Highline chili. And, you know, you can serve it with pasta. You can put it on a hot dog. It just, I, it, it's so cinnamony to me. I, they, I've definitely had cinnamon-flavored chilies in this competition in the past. Um, you know, uh, so that very yeah, well some of that. The Cincinnati one has uh, cinnamon and, and nutmeg and cloves. 
And so it does. It gives it that very uh, unique flavor. And I, when somebody told me about with spaghetti, I thought they were pulling my leg. I mean, when I first heard about that, that was the most bizarre concept. Like I thought, I've gotten in trouble for suggesting worse options. And, you know, but um, here's one called the Hoosier Chili. I've never heard of that. Uh, another one called Tavern Style Chili. Uh, Kansas City Chili. I'm not too familiar with that or either one of you. It's um, Sounds like it should have barbecue sauce in it or something. It, Pulled pork, yeah. Pulled pork yeah, and bird ends are the yeah primary. Yeah, bird ends and pulled pork. I've had that one, and it is outstanding. I'm hard pressed to say I've had a bad chili. There's a lot of different chilies I've had, but it's hard to say I've had a bad chili. Now here's one: the New Mexico, which is the Hatch Chili, which. Uh, uh, Monty, you mentioned that about uh, yep. uh, this one is pork shouldered green chilies and and uh, the rest of the type of ingredients. But anyway, so incredible. What's what's your favorite kind of chili, Monty? Do you have a favorite kind? You know, it's kind of weird because I grew up, you know, Russian Germans from Russia, and one on one side and Norwegians on the other, and I love hot chili. <laughs> I mean, just pretty much anything if if it's hot and uh um, beans or no beans doesn't make any difference to me i know that that was uh for a while we actually adhered to the uh the national chili competition rules even though we weren't certified uh and that says no beans but oh really yeah you, in, okay. in serious chili competition there's no beans in it Oh, I didn't know that was cheating. Uh, well, that's that's the problem. And in fact, the the competition chilies they have a size particle size limit. They have no beans, no no identifiable components in it. I mean, it looks almost like a sauce. And the reason for that is exactly that. If you you know, I'm, you know if you were serious enough, and some of these chili competitions are pretty serious. They they had problems apparently with people cheating and you know saying well mine will be the one that has red you know red beans white beans and black beans in it and oh it'll, and it'll be mostly black beans or something like that you know and and oh. identify their chili. No, well, here I thought it was cheating like the Malachi brothers putting uh, cinder blocks in their demolition cars you know in in, in the areas like that but uh, instead. You're talking about the 1984 NBA draft where they rigged it with the bent corner. Okay, yeah. I okay. see how you're talking about it. So Steve, did you know it. these chili competitions could get so cutthroat? Well, I, I did. I, I did. I actually, I've had a chili one time too. I'll tell you what, that brings up an interesting question. We'll we'll talk about that when we come back for the break. Uh, this is talk of the town. We're talking with Monty Bessler, the Frackinator, uh, Wilson API uh, chili cookoff coming up. Also, Jason Spees from The Crude Life. You can catch Jason Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. right here on Super Talk 1270. Without apology, the regular Joe show with Joe Giganti. Weekday evenings at 9 on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 mobile app. 
Welcome back to Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 1270, I'm Steve Bockel. I'm with Jason Spees from The Crude Life, Sunday morning, 10 a.m. You can catch The Crude Life right here on Super Talk 1270 and a myriad of other stations around the country uh, with that syndicated program. But uh, we're talking with Monty Bessler, the frackinator right now. And part of the definition of chili is if you think about a, a chili dog, um, if if it's too hearty, more of a stew, you can't put it on a hot dog. So it's not a chili dog. That's kind of the easy way. But just to get creative and from basically it's no beans is chili. I, I like beans, though, so call it what you will. Um, I've actually had a chili recipe that I judged in a competition one time that had chocolate bars, Hershey chocolate bars, and orange juice as part of the recipe. I've had the chocolate stuff before. Can't say that I thought it was all that good, but it's so different that it just didn't strike me as being chilly. Now, my understanding with the chocolate, that actually comes from Mexico. That's actually uh, a Mexican chili, uh, and it balances really nicely. I don't know if there's pork or beef involved with the original recipe, but I, I remember seeing that the chocolate and chili kind of went hand in hand. And um, that's, uh, I don't know, for me personally, I, I prefer beans. I like beans in my chili. Uh, I like to have chunks of ground beef. Uh, bison is good in a chili as well. And um, more of a tomato-based type of a person. I do like the white chilies and I like some of the other, but I don't particularly care for the cinnamony type. I don't care for what I would call, Steve, a Coney Island chili because it goes on a Coney Island hot dog. It's right. that kind of very almost uh, – it's almost pasty, liquidy type of a chili. Or a, I think I think that's almost uh, like a canned Wolf brand chili or something like that. But I don't know. I like chunks of meat in mine. I don't know about you guys. but And it's spicy. I like mine five alarm. Yeah, I def- I'm, I'm in that – probably in that pack too. And uh, now in regards to like beans versus no beans and things like that, and also serious competition, I, I, I was the MC for several years on the chili cook-off. And one year I was also the chairman and we had a, um, a couple out of Seattle that had heard about our chili cook-off. I don't know how, because, you know, it was, but uh, this predates all the booms and everything, and they wanted to get in the competition, and so we let them in, and they apparently had one uh, number of ser- you know real real competitions there in the Seattle area, and they uh, <laughs> they didn't place, and huh. uh, of course. Everybody else by that time we were putting beans in it, and we had uh, people's choice. And I and I and I tell people that nowadays, even I mean, you could take the best chili and win the competition hands down, save half of it in the refrigerator over for a year, bring it back, and not even place. You know, we don't we don't have professional chili judges. We have, you know, Joe off the street. Um, Sam from the bank and, you know, the police chief and, you know, whoever is willing to spend a little bit of time, drink a little bit of wine to cleanse their palate and 
and get stuffed on chili. And uh, it's okay. Just a- now, M- Monty, that that's an interesting point. Um, explain the wine to cleanse your palate while judging chili, because people think it's like okay, drink some water. Or, it, it, depending on the the seasoning, and by seasoning, I mean the peppers involved. And uh, water doesn't cut it. Water doesn't uh, get rid of that. Yeah. It doesn't have that cleansing palate effect. No, I think the, the alcohol helps a little bit there. I mean, if you really wanted to neutralize the heat completely, you'd drink whole milk or, or ice cream. But you'd get full pretty fast because you'd be eating a lot. Yeah. But, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, Jason, you brought up the white chili. And uh, I'm a sucker for a, a chicken white chili. I yeah. have to make a pheasant white chili that oh, is wow. outstanding. <laughs> That'd be really good, yeah. Is good. I, I, I'm sure we've had some wild game chilies up here in the past. It may have some this year because we we certainly have wild game in some of the other oil field events. So it uh, oh venison, elk, you can do waterfowl. The, you know, the only things that we have to watch out for is that most of the time our meat has to be inspected. Um, for health reasons, I guess. Um, so, you know, if you have wild game, then it probably needs to be processed from a facility or something, but yeah, not processed at home, technically. Um, uh, and Monty, uh, uh, chili cookoff time with the API up in Williston. And I was going to ask you, are, are there any, what are the rules? Are, are, are there things that, disqualify somebody from being in the competition what are the rules what are the constraints to the type of because there's so many we talked about this there's so many different types of chili out there um what what are the rules as far as the parameters of being in the chili cook-off well they're really it 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 would probably be hard to get disqualified but i'm sure you could do it it would probably have to involve um something pretty blatant as far as, especially today, with since we no longer uh, try to adhere to the uh, uh, Chile national Chile rules, um, so pretty much anything can go in the Chile. Um, you know, you have to, as a team, you have to provide a game. So um, that's part of it. Um, the uh, booth, there's, there's. Uh, amazing booth there's a and there's a booth competition so you'll see some amazing architecture literally people build almost houses in there uh around their uh, and it all has to fit within their assigned area um you have to cook uh, um pretty much two full cookers of ch- uh, like a t- uh, like a turkey based or, or a cooker of chili uh, so there's a there's a an amount that you have to provide, and that's only because we want to make sure everybody that comes there has an opportunity to eat some chili, and we don't run out. Now that's if and everybody starts with the, roughly the same amount is always a pretty good gauge of who has the good chili too, because if somebody does run out, it's probably because they have pretty good chili. Do people serve sides? Oh yeah, there's always. Snacks. Cornbread? Um, yeah, you'll find some with cornbread. You'll find um, 
you know, onions, cheese. You put uh, cheese is always there, almost always there. Sour cream, chips, yeah, sour Fritos. Cream, I imagine uh, Fritos is all over. Yeah, corn chips. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it, it it it's all there. You know, some more than others, but there's. Has all anybody ever tried to pull off the spaghetti? I have never seen spaghetti. No, That's, that makes me feel good. That makes me feel good. <laughs> Has anybody ever tried to pull off the hot dog angle? No, I've never seen them. That no. would be that 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 might work. That might work. You might get some creativity points because the kids, yeah. if they could have just a chili or you know like like a half a chili dog. Oh, you well, kidding me? Just before we get too far along on the kids thing, because alcohol is served there, it's oh. one or older. Well, okay, that that uh, I'm talking kids of all ages. Yeah, <laughs> kids like me. Yeah. And Marty, Marty, in the, in the business of live radio, we call that smooth as sandpaper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that when we come back for the break. Uh, this is Talk of the Town. We're talking with Monty Bessler, the Frackinator, uh, Wilson API uh, Chili Cookoff coming up. Also, Jason Spees from the Crude Life. You can catch Jason Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. right here. On Super Talk 12.7. Super Talk. Talk of the Town on Super Talk 12.70. Super Talk 12.70. I'm Steve Michael. I'm with Jason Speece from the Crude Life. Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You can catch the Crude Life right here on Super Talk 12.70. And myriad of other stations around the country uh, with that syndicated program. But uh, we're talking with Monty Bessler, the Frackinator, right now. This is an over-21 event. Um, that This is a fundraiser for scholarships, for uh, community-related activities. It's really a night of festivities. It's a night of fun. It's a night to sample chili. There's a, a, a flat rate you pay at the door. My guess is you're on your own for any sort of drinks after that, Monty. Yeah, that, that's all on your own. Uh, now, a lot of the booths have free uh, alcohol. They have to buy it. From the facility normally, but they can have, uh, you know, common to have beer that's given away, especially amongst some of the vendors and that sort of thing. So, and hmm. because they're they're basically ha- handling it as a, uh, you know, a sales advertising opportunity. So we call that community relations in the business. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and this is a meet your local oil guy event too, and everybody wants to. Uh, yeah, you know, get get everybody feeling good. Um, might loosen the wallets up a little bit, you know, when it comes to buying tickets at a you know to play in a putting game or whatever, you know. So, uh, and you guys aren't serving cabbage, are you? Because if if you are, we're gonna have to put you in an airport hangar. <laughs> <No. laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there, there's there's a. Uh, a lot of uh, opportunities there, and the dance afterwards. The bands are good. Uh, oh, you got a band and everything like that. Live entertainment. Live entertainment. Uh, DJ that does announcing during the um, for the prizes or door prize drawings. Um, what time well, does the event start? Well, for the exhibitors, it starts almost at you know like eight o'clock in the morning. They get in there and they're yeah, if they didn't do it the evening before, they're in there working on the finalizing their booths, um, getting all their food supplies prepped, um, and then start cooking 
you know, mid-morning, uh, everything's supposed to be done by three, you, uh, and available for the public to start sampling. Uh, you're going to have, uh, times in there where you have to have samples available for the judges to collect. Um, you have to, there's inspectors that go around to make sure, again, like I talked about the certification for the meats and make sure that all of those rules are adhered to. Billy, please. And then the judges always come around and, you know, they don't openly say that they're, they're available to be bribed, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. They they go around and make sure they give everyone an opportunity to give them that envelope. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So give them Mm -hmm. that snack or whatever, that special treat. Oh. Yeah. It's just all, all the way around fun. And, uh, how about for the public? If I'm, you know, Joe Public listening on the street, I want to have a night of a few drinks, maybe some chili, you know, sample some different kinds, give back to the community, that sort of thing. What time should I show up? I would recommend between 3 and 5. Uh, 5 is when official uh, public sampling starts. But three during the 3 to 5 time, there are some – games that are also held where the teams compete for valuable prizes. Um, and uh, they're they're kind of fun to watch. Well, you guys got all kinds of live entertainment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how do people go about uh, signing up? Uh, and, again, what are the dates one more time? And uh, how do people sign up for the event if they want to be a competitor or if they just want to show up? Well, the, the competitor deal – is you you basically get a hold of the API, um, let them know that you're interested in competing. You'll go on a list because the thing is generally sold out years in advance. Uh, and so what they will do, though, is tell you who's in it, and maybe you can say, okay, you know, uh, Halliburton or whoever. Uh, for instance, I'm I'm actually on the Halliburton team. Um, even though I no longer, no longer work for Halliburton, but I get to, you know, kind of parade my Frackinator, uh, stuff around a little bit as, as a process. And I contribute to, uh, whatever prize that in the past that they've given out as part of their game. So, uh, that's one way for them to get in, but getting on that list and it's an attrition list. Basically, if somebody drops out, the next one moves in. If they're still, Wanting to do it, they get that spot. If they're not here or they're no longer interested, then the next person. And, and, but there's always there's always a list, and uh, it's uh, at times has been quite long, um, especially I think as, as the notoriety, you know, has uh, has increased. So, and how many competitors are there today? Because uh, typically on a year, because I, I I know it's grown over the years. There's 22 teams, and and interestingly, we probably could do more than that, but one of the things that we always run into is power, electrical power, and uh, because when you turn on that many cookers simultaneously, there's not a lot of places that have circuitry to handle, so we actually have to bring in generators to provide electrical power to uh, a lot of the uh, to the cookers. So uh, that kind of limits 
how many teams we can have or, or cooking teams. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that those teams can't be a combination teams in there. There's a number, number of them. Like I say, there's four operators and there's 22 total this year. The most we've ever had that I'm aware of was 24. And that was in the, in the past when we had it in the, uh, Williston, um, airport in, and now it's at the, uh, Raymond Center. Well, great, Monty. Looking forward to another great uh, chili cook-off. This is Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Welcome to February 20th on the National Day calendar. Today, we're appreciating a beloved breakfast treat and honoring the furry, feathered, or scaly companions in our lives. What's your favorite kind of muffin? Those tender, single-serving quick breads or cakes are a breakfast staple in many households. They come in a variety of flavors, from classic blueberry and chocolate chip to savory cheese and herb. Whether enjoyed with a morning coffee or as an afternoon snack, muffins offer a delicious bite that's hard to resist. On National Muffin Day, we celebrate this versatile baked treat that always hits the spot. Do you still know the Muffin Man? Well, sure, he's down on Drury Lane. Hey, I just came from the bakery, LaToya. They only had two kinds left. I guess it's Muffin Day, so they're almost sold out. Uh, I got double chocolate and lemon poppy seed. What would you like? Really? Everything else was gone already. That's the only two you got. No, Marlo, there has to be more. <sighs> okay. I'm sorry. I'll just eat. I'll eat them both, okay? I'll enjoy one for well, you. Uh, obviously. Uh, 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 give me the lemon poppy seed. Okay, hand it over. All buddy. right. There you go. From the culinary delight of muffins, we shift to the heartwarming world of pets. Pets bring us so much joy and love to our lives. Pets bring so much joy and love to our lives, offering companionship, laughter, and comfort. Whether you're a dog person, a cat person, or you have a penchant for parrots or reptiles, pets are a source of unconditional love and friendship. On Love Your Pet Day, we give extra attention to our pets and honor the special bond between humans and their animal companions. Okay, I got you a surprise. Okay, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Uh, they're closed. What? It's scaly and hugging me. What? What? Oh, my goodness. You got me a snake? Yes. Oh, my God. It's got to hug you till you can't breathe anymore. It's got to squeeze you so tight. Oh, I love getting hugged. And I will hug him and pet him and squeeze him. Aww. I'm Latoya Johnson. (laughs) I'm Marlo Anderson. Thank you for joining us as we celebrate every day on Destination Celebration. There are days I don't like this job. (laughs) Can't pay? Now what do you do? I'm Daria Albinger with today's tax tip. You filed your return and you realize you owe the IRS more than you can afford to pay right now. If you find that you can't pay the full amount by the filing deadline, and this year that deadline is April 18th, you should still file your return on time and pay as much as you can by the due date. ABC News business correspondent Alexis Christophoros says it's important to pay what you can now. That way you can avoid uh, penalty fees, late fees. You may still incur some of those, but they wouldn't be as great as if you just ignored uh, the payment. Then make arrangements to pay off the balance. Apply for an installment agreement request with the IRS. You'll be surprised to see how much the government actually wants to work with you and have you uh, pay that bill in a 
timely way. You may find the terms the tax man offers are better than other options like paying by credit card or taking a personal loan. With today's tax tip, Daria Albinger, ABC News. Super Talk 1270. LXX AM, Mandan Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. 100. Talk lineup is on Super Talk 1270. Check out the program schedule at supertalk1270.com and on the free Super Talk 1270 app. Portions of the following program are pre recorded. Welcome back to Talk of the Town on Super Talk. 1270. Super Talk 1270. I'm Steve Michael. I'm with Jason Spees from the Crude Little Pipe on this Wattage Wednesday. We're talking with Bonnie Bessler from uh, the Williston Basin uh, API uh, member. And uh, we're going to get into some of the social media stuff with Monty as well as the Frackinator. Is, uh, that's kind of his famous moniker. Super Talk 1270. I'm Steve Michael. I'm with Jason Spees from the Crude Life. You can catch Jason Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. right here on Super Talk 1270. We're talking with Monty Bessler, better known as the Frackinator, up in the Williston Basin. And, uh, Monty, I, I, I have to ask, um, getting off the topic of chili, even though now I'm really, really hungry, uh, what is the current state of the oil patch in North Dakota? We hear a lot of different things, you know, whether it's workforce issues or um, a myriad of, of things that kind of, it waxes and wanes a little bit. Yeah, you know, we're very seasonal up here. What, what is your take? Where are we at overall as a, as a shale play? Well, we're we're one one thing is we're we're significantly more mature um, than a lot of the other areas. And define that because a lot of people don't know what mature means. Well, the, all of the state throw that around the competitive uh, acquisition of leases, uh, drilling to hold production, a lot of that stuffs has been taken care of. Now it's gone into more of a steady state uh, development where um, you're going into back into areas that you control the lease on and you're now drilling additional wells to develop that resource. Um, and that allows a little more controlled um, operation. And you see that the uh, pad drilling uh a lot of the work, a lot of the frack crews in particular are tied up on pads where they go in and they may be there for a month or better, uh, just fracking one well after another, uh, same way with the drilling rigs. So it, as opposed to moving all over the basin now, seasonally, we're moving into, and it probably be starting if it isn't already in the southern part of the state, uh, road restrictions, which always dampen the work, but it has maybe a little less effect in this part of the, uh, you know, as, as we mature, because in the past we were still having to move every day or, you know, every two or three days somewhere. And you couldn't because of the weight restrictions. Well, now they're camped out on a location and uh, there's not much movement. Drilling rigs don't move for, you know, maybe a month or two. And that prevents a lot of the issues that, would uh, basically put a drilling rig on the bank in the past because they couldn't uh, couldn't move the rig once it got done drilling until the, the frost road road restrictions would go off. So that's you mentioned you mentioned that uh, Hess was going to be one of the participants in the API chili cookoff coming up in March. 
And didn't they just get bought out by or merge or something with uh, Chesapeake or, or Chevron, Chevron or something Chevron. like that? Yeah, Chevron. Well, okay. Did you mind just kind of giving us a kind of a 101 of kind of some who the players are right now in the Bakken? Because honestly, Monty, with all the mergers and acquisitions and everything that's happened since COVID, it's kind of like, you know, what Chris Berman rumbling, stumbling, bumbling. You know, it's like, what? Who scored the touchdown? Who's left now? Can you, do you mind doing that without, you know, being. You know, without being political, just yeah. who's kind of who? Who's who now? Yeah. Well, obviously, you mentioned Hess and Chevron. Now, I think that's still being worked out the details because of the size of the companies and the sort. Um, yeah. Chevron likely went after Hess, not just for North Dakota, but also for their offshore properties in Guyana, um, which was huge that Hess owned. And I believe mm-hmm. would probably make them the operator in that offshore field, which is huge. So uh, we did a story on that actually when when the merger first happened, or when the news broke that um, we believe that was the reason why. And I'll tell you another one that we did was uh, Denbury. That when Exxon acquired Denbury it was primarily for their carbon capture, Monty. What do you what do you think about that? Oh yeah, uh, Denbury was. Just, you know, probably the the premier pilot project for bringing CO2 to the Williston Basin, you know, currently down in the uh, southwest uh, part of the basin in the Cedar Creek Anticline. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, making plans at least to be able to move it further into the basin. Of course, the mm-hmm. summit deal is also a, a CO2-related uh, project, Bringing methanol plant, ethanol plant CO2 into the basin for storage, but also potentially for subsequent use for EUR later on. So, you know, there, there's a tie in to the oil and gas industry there with, with that, uh, that it can never get going. I'll be a little bit of competition for. For Exxon, but then you have Whiting. And the next one up is going to be Whiting, but I wanted to stop for a second and talk a little bit about uh, some of the carbon sequestration projects. You mentioned uh, advanced uh, oil recovery and what that looks like in the future. A lot of these projects right now with the um, sequestration side on the CO2, um, it's really not open at the moment for enhanced oil recovery. What window do you see the enhanced oil recovery playing in in uh, what's going on in our oil play? Because I, I using CO two for advanced uh, enhanced oil recovery is huge. I, I I admit that, and I'm looking forward to it. But I'm seeing a lot of these sequestration projects right now, like you mentioned, Summit Carbon Solutions, and that's down the road. That CO2 that would be coming into North Dakota, it's down the road. What's the timeline you see, or where do you see the enhanced oil recovery coming into its own in our play? Well, I, I do think it's going to be a bit, and, and part of that is that, you know, you there's still significant part of the basin that's still in, you know, early in primary recovery. Um, but one of the big things that you have to have and in, in a way, the uh, the mergers and some of those things actually are helping is that they're creating bigger blocks of, of oil and gas leases that 
because when you do the EOR on the scale that's going to be needed in the Bakken, it's going to, it's going to go from where it used to be small fields. It's going to be townships or counties size fields in order to be able to uh, economically develop the EOR projects. You have to have a lot of space and especially in these, these low perm uh, reservoirs like the Bakken and Three Forks. So it, it's going to take a while. So I think that, you know, the CO2, if it takes a while to get here, it's still not going to be too late, uh, as long as it gets here. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, it's, it's going to be a benefit for both parties. I mean, the people that want to sequester the CO2 and, and, uh, those who want to produce more of the oil that's in the ground. There's a huge resource in the Bakken and Three Forks. You add another percent or two of recovery. And you're talking billions of barrels of oil. So it's, it's significant, but it's going to take, you know, things like, uh, unitization and to get all the operators that are involved in the leaseholders and all the involved person, people and parties, uh, to agree on a unit and a, and a EOR project. So it's, it's, it's a pretty monumental task, but it, it can be done, but we've got to have the CO2. Um, and that surprisingly, everybody's complaining about too much CO2, but we don't have enough. So. Yeah, well, and that's uh, that's an interesting point that a lot of people don't realize, especially from a commercial and industrial perspective. There's just not enough CO2 out there. Um, when you're looking at some of these other businesses that are working in the Bakken, I think Whiting was the next one you mentioned. Yeah, the, the you know, Whiting merged with Oasis, and now it's called Cord Energy. So that, that tied up a couple pretty good sized independent operators, um, into one company and, and Cord is one of them that's in the chili cook-off that I mentioned. So, um, you mentioned Kraken. That's, um, that's a relatively new company, isn't it? Well, they're probably their, their, uh, profile is becoming a bit more, uh, public. But they've been around for 10, 15 years when they first started up, I think. But, uh, most of their acreage isn't in the, you know, in the core of the Bakken. And so their operations are a little, they, they just don't get the press that the, the middle of the basin gets. Uh, a lot of it's up in the northern, north, uh, west part of the basin, north of Williston and, uh, uh, but they're, uh, they're an active and, and they're doing some interesting things as far as the way they develop their, their well, because they, you know, they have some limitations. They don't have as, as well, they aren't as well set up for gas, re, uh, gathering, for instance. So they have to look at different ways to handle gas versus flaring it. Cause that's not a popular thing anymore either. So, um, how about like Marathon, Conoco, EOG, Continental? Uh, uh, are they all, are they all still uh, business as usual? Yeah, EOGs got a, you know, they're, they were big in the Montreal area as well as so you, Marathon in uh, Dunn County, uh, parts of McKenzie County. Um, they've, they've got a pretty significant, uh, position there. Plus they also have an office and, um, in Dickinson and I believe maybe even in Watford city. Um, so, um, Conoco 
Uh, you know, then if you get down into Bowman County and you've got Conoco and of course you, there's Continental and Continental's down there as well as up here. They're probably the largest in terms of acreage and well count really new wells anyway, producing in the Bakken, um, uh, uh, across the basin. So, yeah. Uh, we're up against the break. This is Talk of the Town. I'm Steve Bakken along with, uh, Jason's Feast from the Crude Life. We're talking with Monty hey. Gessler, the Frackinator. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I forgot who I was. Hey. Hey. <laughs> on a wattage Wednesday on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk. Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Doc 1270, I'm Steve Bogdan with Jason Speech from the Crude Life, Sunday morning, 10 a.m. You can catch the Crude Life right here on Super Talk 1270 and a myriad of other stations around the country uh, with that syndicated program. But uh, we're talking with Monty Bessler, the Frackinator, right now. Well, let's um, trans- transition or segue to uh, uh, Abel. This is where uh, Monty and I actually met Steve, was through a story that uh, we were doing on the the crude life. Oh boy, this was a decade ago, probably. Good. Where um, we always feature nonprofits, those that are uh, involved with the communities, and you know, this turned into one of those stories where you know, Monty became more of a testimonial. So we kind of told the executive director, "We're you know, let's uh, let's talk to the, the testimonial instead." And she thought, "Yeah, I'd rather have." somebody out there who's actually giving real life experience about what this services they are providing. And Steve, you know, this, the marketing directors and the executive directors absolutely love when the testimonials come because that's, that's speaking from the heart and that's, you know, someone who's impacted by it. And uh, Monty, we always love to give you an opportunity to talk about ABLE, how it's affected your life, how you're involved with it. And, uh, for those people who aren't aware of what ABLE is, capital A, capital B, capital L, capital E, and then the word Inc. is uh, kind of the official name. But tell people uh, what ABLE is and what services they provide. Well, ABLE provides uh, and basically took over in a large part for what the state was handling 40 years ago when there was a lawsuit that basically required that handicapped people be allowed to have a lifestyle as close as possible to everybody else, not, you know, locked away in a, you know, stone, you know, castle somewhere. And they, so they, they were released out into the state and able jumped up and, and started a business. Um, and the reason I bring up 40 years is this is their 40th anniversary. Um, both of the end of uh, the start of that program and, and also the beginning of ABLE. So they're going to be doing some celebrations this year. Uh, and ABLE is real close to me because of my son Sterling is a resident in one of their homes. He's, he's autistic. Absolutely. It is his home. He loves it. Uh, and what they do with him is amazing, uh, and as well as the others, uh, they will, you know, depending on staffing availability, will bring him somewhere for me. They've taken him to football games, um, the Bison, the Vikings. He, um, he will, you know, the plan is to come up for the chili cook off, 
they may bring him. He may come with my my uh, oldest boy as well, but just we don't know yet. But um, they send a person along. I've gone to family reunions. Um, he's actually gone on on trips. He has to spend a certain amount of his money every year so he doesn't lose some of his benefits. And uh, he's, you know, he just uh, loves it there. Um, you know, he, he was asked one time what he wanted to do with the money he had. And he said, I want to take dad to a football game. That is awesome. Uh, Monty Bessler, the Frackinator. Hey, uh, we're up against the break, but just before we go real quick, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, uh, social media. Uh, you tend to be a very outspoken person. Uh, Frackinator is, is well known in a lot of circles in the energy sector. Uh, and Part of the reason that people appreciate uh, what you have to say is the fact that you are outspoken and, and you don't. There's no fluff. You, you cut right through the BS and, and say it like it should be said. Um, got you in a little trouble on social media. You're back on social media. Um, yeah. What's the messaging I, out there? Well, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of the same stuff. I think some of the, um, uh, I, you know, close canceling for lack of a better word that kind of got me bumped off at one point in time uh, has lack it isn't quite as bad as it used to be but um, I have I still cannot get back on on the original name and, and email so I have to use one of my other alternate ego or identities and and get on and uh, I am Mr. Bessler um, now <laughs> Instead of Monty Bessler. And the Mr. Bessler was the inside joke I've always had. Uh, my first and middle initials are MR, so all of my junk mail, a lot of it used to come to MR Bessler or Mr. Bessler. So I, uh, I decided to go with that and get back on that. And, uh, and, and, and now I'm well into trying to see what it takes to get bumped again, but. Uh, well, if you're looking for Monty, the Frackinator, and and, uh, and his alter ego or some of his alternate uh, personalities, if you you can't find him as the Frackinator, that's a couple places to look for. A uh, lot of insight, a lot of information when it comes to the industry. A lot, uh, a lot that you can still share, Monty. So appreciate uh, the time you spent with us today, and always looking forward to our conversations, my friend. Likewise. Uh, you guys do a great job for our industry. Monty Best of the Frackinator. I'm Steve Bach, along with Jason Spees from The Crude Life. This is Talk of the Town on this Wattage Wednesday on Super Talk 1270. Talk of the Town. Super Talk 1270. Broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. Good people, great rates, and exceptional service. At View, the focus is on you. Here's the latest from the Dakota News Network. North Dakota's homeless continuum of care has been awarded $3.4 million grant by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. It's geared towards uh, permanent supportive housing, transitional housing, and rapid rehousing. So it's really a grant to place people who are living on the streets or experiencing homelessness into 
housing. Chanel Willer is the state coordinator of the Continuum of Care. It's placing people into housing that are that are experiencing homelessness and then working with them to stabilize so that they don't return to homelessness. She says once people are housed, they will have a better opportunity to go back to school, find a job, and take care of their well-being. Because they're not living in trauma from day to day of where they might sleep tonight. If we can get them housed, then we can take those next steps to help them find employment or go back to school and work on those other other concerns that they may have. Willer says 24 projects will receive a share of the money. The mayor of Mapleton, North Dakota, faces felony charges in connection with a crash that seriously injured a woman. It happened Sunday afternoon at the Detroit Mountain Recreation Area in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, where Andrew Drager reportedly took a curve too fast and crashed into some trees and a large rock. A woman in his truck suffered a fractured back and neck and was knocked unconscious. Police claim Drager had been drinking before the crash, and he's charged with two counts of felony criminal vehicular operation. This is the Dakota News Network. Whether taking on large commercial landscapes or your own backyard, let Steel help with your pursuit of the perfect cut. Introducing Steel zero-turn mowers for homeowners and pros with a wide range of features and options. Like our advanced four-wheel suspension system and 0% financing available, it's time to let the pursuit begin. Real Steel. Find yours at SteelUSA.com slash zero turn. Available at select dealers. Financing available on qualifying purchases and subject to credit approval. See dealer for details. Trains are everywhere. You should always expect one, even on private property. Only cross tracks at designated crossings that fit your equipment. If you don't fit, don't commit. Whatever you're operating, secure your load, raise your equipment, and avoid getting stuck or causing damage. Minimize distractions. Remember, noisy equipment drowns out the sound of a train. Unless you're crossing, always keep a safe distance from train tracks. Look. Listen. Live. For more info, go to OLI.org. Fire officials are investigating a mobile home fire that happened Tuesday afternoon. Firefighters were called to the scene along 16th Avenue Southeast, finding a smoldering fire and nearby water line that had melted. The fire was extinguished and no injuries were reported. There's no word yet on how the fire started. The North Dakota Game and Fish Department is recommending people to remove their ice fishing houses early this year. Our unusually warm winter means the ice on lakes across the state is thinning. The department says removing fish houses once the ice becomes even thinner could be difficult and dangerous. Maintenance work on the Grant Marsh Bridge on Interstate 94 between Bismarck and Mandan will begin today. The NDOT says westbound traffic will be temporarily reduced to one lane. The speed limit will also be reduced and a 14-foot width restriction will be in place. The North Dakota Game and Fish Department says the state's National Archery in School programs is ready to host the state tournament in Minot. The competition is March 15th and 16th at the State Fair Center. It will feature teams and individuals in elementary, middle, and high school divisions. $30,000 in scholarship prizes will be awarded. That's the latest from the Dakota News Network. I'm Paul Bougie. 
From the storm team at KX News, I'm meteorologist Stone Schaefer. Today, mostly sunny highs in the lower 50s, a west wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly cloudy lows in the mid-20s, a northwest wind 5 to 10. Tomorrow, sunny highs in the upper 40s, a northwest wind 10 to 20, wind gusts up to 30 miles per hour. On Friday, mostly sunny highs in the mid-40s, a northwest wind 5 to 15, wind gusts up to 30. On Saturday, sunny highs in the lower 50s, a west wind 10 to 20, wind gusts up to 35 miles per hour. On Sunday, mostly sunny highs in the lower 50s, a west wind 10 to 15, wind gusts up to 25. On Monday, mostly sunny highs in the upper 50s, a southwest wind 10 to 15, wind gusts up to 25 miles per hour. And on Tuesday, partly sunny highs in the mid 30s, a northwest wind 15 to 25 miles per hour. Keep it right here for your latest forecast, Town Square Media. Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Welcome back to Super Talk 1270's Talk of the Town. My name is Jason Spees, sitting in for Steve Bakken. He stepped out for the last half an hour. We're going to bring in Carolina Ortega. She's with Milestone Environmental Solutions, one of those uh, service companies out in the oil field that is sequestering, grabbing carbon, enhancing the production of carbon. We're going to go right to the Zoom line right now. All right, let's head over to the Zoom line. Carolina Ortega is with us. Milestone Environmental. What was the last? Is it Solutions? Service. Is it Services? Services. Services. Okay, I apologize. Here, I'm kind of impromptu in the fly doing five things at once. We're narrowing it down to just one right now because there's a lot going on in the world of environmental services, environmental solutions with sustainability services, sustainability solutions. They even have an acronym thrown around, ESG, Environmental Social Governance. We've got corporate sustainability reports, all kinds of different things. But really, when you kind of boil it down, it seems like there's a, I don't know, a fork in the road when we're talking about sustainability and we're talking about ESG. Talk to me about your perception, your point of view when it comes to those two words. Are they the same or are they different? Well, I think they're different. For me, um, the term ESG has been around maybe for about six years. It hasn't been that long. And it was mostly pushed from the investor community to try to come up with a specific set of metrics of um, on the most material issues for companies regarding environmental, social, and governance issues. Um, and so I think what has happened has, is that it's kind of been confused to um, with what the term sustainability is really meant to be. So this is the the example that I like to give um, my colleagues and just other peers with whom um, we like to talk about ESG and sustainability. Think about when you go to the doctor and the doctor takes your cholesterol level and they take your blood pressure and they take your um your, uh, you know, different levels of vitamin D, and they just do a blood test, and they come up with all these metrics, all these numbers on your health, right? Those metrics, I 
I kind of make a parallel with ESG because they they try to tell the story about your health, but it's not really the whole story, right? They're just metrics. And they say how your heart may be working or your liver or your kidneys, but it's not the full story. When you have things like the quality of your social relationships, the quality of your sleep, whether you are happy, um, you know, whether you have a positive outlook on life, whether you look forward to the day every morning, that is really helps um, everybody understand their health a lot better than just the metrics on your heart rate. So to me, when you talk about a company's ability to create value in the long term and to reduce risk in the long term, when you're able to tell a story about how a company is welcomed by local communities when it sets up its operations, that is sustainability. It's long-term value creation. It's long-term risk management. And that's the big difference. ESG is a set of metrics. They help, but they don't tell the full story. And sustainability is really the bigger story about the health of the company and the value they create to society. Does that make sense? I Well, to me, it does. I, I understand um, a lot of the different... Uh, variables and, and impacts of ESG. And when when I look at ESG, I, I start with it in a vacuum and then I go backwards from there because that's generally when there's certain policies or um, ideas, they do start they, in, in a vacuum. And it's our quest for that perfection that gives us that goal. And sometimes I think we get kind of the horse before the cart, if you will, and and we start trying to assess perfection before companies have had a chance to become uh, that or come down the line. I don't I don't know if that just made sense to you or not, but that's kind of yes, yes, oh. yes. And I think it's an important distinction because the term ESG, um, especially in some states like Texas, has been getting some like bad um, bad press as if it really were the wrong set of, of um, the wrong filter to look at a company. And, um, and I just would like to say to that, that it's really a company's, you know, quote unquote health or sustainability is about a lot more than just the metrics. And we should always really pay attention to that, to make that distinction because otherwise we don't really understand the whole value that a company may be bringing to the environment and communities and its employees, et cetera, et cetera. What's interesting about ESG to me is that there's there's um, kind of different importances right now and there's subjective sustainability metrics. And it's, it is the metrics that do kind of create some of the chaos, I think, um, when they start comparing scores and they start comparing different companies and these types, of, as soon as you start comparing, you know, you, you, you open up judgment, if you will. What are you seeing kind of some of the biggest hurdles right now with, with uh, acceptance of either the idea of uh, implementing a, a system like ESG or 
going the uh, anti-ESG route like a uh, Texas or a uh, Florida. I saw South Carolina just introduce some ESG legislation the other day. Um, what's the biggest obstacle right now, you think, with, with, with companies? Is it profitability? Is it long-term vision? Is it acceptance? I guess uh, talk to me a little bit about what some of the hurdles are for companies. Well, I think there's a, there's several hurdles. One is um, I think it's about people not quite understanding what sustainability really is or should be, and so that lends that kind of lack of of knowledge lends itself to misinterpretation of how ESG can be wrong for shareholders and investors. Where in fact, we've kind of always been practicing, uh, ESG, right? When you think of risk management, all companies are required to look at their short, medium, and long-term risks in order to make business decisions, especially public companies. They have a fiduciary duty to do that for their investors and shareholders. So this is really not much, uh, different. And I think that the obstacle here comes in helping people truly understand um, that sustainability is actually good for all of us, right? You want to make sure that companies are healthy and um, in the long term and that they'll be around to continue to make profits, to distribute them to investors, to their employees, uh, to the communities, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that is one of the, the obstacles. You did, uh, another one is you did talk about raters and how, um, there's some groups that try to rate companies in terms of their sustainability performance. And I think that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a noble effort to try to say which company is better than others, but there's a lot of challenges with doing that. Um, Carolina Ortega, hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a brief pause. We come back. We'll talk about some of those challenges. My name is Jason Spies, sitting in today here on Super Talk 1270's Talk of the Town. 1270. Welcome back to Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Welcome back to Super Talk 1270's Talk of the Town. My name is Jason Spies today, sitting in here for the final segment. Carolina Ortega is our guest. We're going to go right back to the conversation, talking about some of the challenges happening when it comes to ESG scoring, especially with energy companies. Carolina, please continue. There's a lot of challenges with doing that. Um, and we tend to think that some of these raters or rating companies are... Um, transparent about their methodology or that they are truly uh, impartial to some industries versus others. And it's not always the case. So a lot of these raters have proprietary methodologies. So you don't really know how they come up with their ratings. And that makes it really hard because in my experience, I've worked for companies that get you know, the best rating, a, a triple A with one rater, and then they get a C with another. And it's when you start asking questions uh, to those raters, most of them say, well, it's our proprietary um, methodology. 
And so you don't really know what a AAA means anymore versus a C, right? Um, it just doesn't always um, lend itself to true uh, hierarchy or, or prioritization of the best performers versus others. Um, another challenge that I think companies are facing regarding sustainability right now, and I'll stop there so that I don't go for too long, is that not all companies really understand how to do sustainability in a way that drives financial growth. So what happens to many companies is that they they focus on what I like to call, and, and a dear friend of mine who's in the field as well, we call them random acts of sustainability kindness. And essentially, they're just, you know, things that are good for the environment or good for your employees, but that they don't really add long-term value. For example, they may be, some companies may be focusing on some water recycling um, programs, but they haven't really gone through a thorough analysis of how the, these water recycling programs help their operations. Maybe it's not the best approach, and there's other ways to conserve water that would be a lot more productive for the company. And so if they just do these random acts of sustainability kindness without looking at how they're driving financial growth, then they're missing the big, big opportunity that comes with sustainability. So when companies are not looking at whether initiatives are reducing costs or increasing revenue on the one hand, or if they're managing risk, then they are just doing these random acts of sustainability kindness that when the business environment gets tight, just inevitably with all the cycles in our economy, then all those, you know, quote unquote, good programs are shut down and don't continue. Whereas if you're really building a company um, focused on long-term value creation, then you're able to ensure that no matter what business cycle you're in, that your company will continue to do these uh, sustainability programs because they are helping drive your financials. So those are three three obstacles that I see um, that are pretty up up, up and prominent um, on my radar screen. Well, how can people? Get in touch with you and what's the takeaway and plug your business a little bit. Of course, people can look me up on LinkedIn. I'm under Carolina Ortega Barrales, which is my second last name. You can find me there. Always willing and delighted to engage with people. And, um, you know, the more people we have talking about sustainability and interested in these issues, the better off we will be. Thank you very much, Carolina Ortega. My name is Jason Spies. Steve Bakken stepped out. He'll be back tomorrow. This is Super Talk 1270's Talk of the Town. It is a wattage Wednesday. Steve Bakken is back tomorrow. Joe Sheehan will be on the program. If you have a chance, go to the crudelife.substack.com. That is our Substack page, the crudelife.substack.com. Of course, you can find all of our interviews at The Crude Life as well. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for sitting in today with me. We'll be back next week. 
Steve will be back tomorrow. This is Super Talk 1270's Talk of the Town. So you've been audited. I'm Daria Aldinger with today's tax tip. You filed your return and you assume all is well, and then you get a letter from the IRS informing you that your return will be audited. The Internal Revenue Service accepts most federal tax returns as filed. However, the IRS examines or audits some returns to determine if income, expenses, and credits are being reported accurately. IRS spokesman Anthony Burke says don't panic. If your return is selected for examination, it does not suggest that you made an error or are dishonest. Read the letter, and if you think you'll need representation, talk to a tax prep pro. Burke also says it may not turn out to be bad news. Some audits even result in the taxpayer's favor and the IRS sends the taxpayer a refund. You'll find more information about audits and how to handle them on the IRS website, irs.gov or the IRS app, irs to go With today's tax tip, Daria Albinger, ABC News. Talk of the town, weekday mornings starting at 9 on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 mobile app. Mandan Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio.